Maybe you've heard that term before, work it out, and that's our title of our message today. Maybe as a kid when you were growing up, your, your parents would look at you and say, y'all need to work it out. Y'all had some brothers or sisters that it took a minute for you to work it out with them. That y'all need. Maybe some of you parents, I saw some eyes where you're saying, I'm saying that right now to mine. Y'all need to work it out. You can see that Paul made this statement, work out your own salvation. In the beginning of this chapter, to try to get an understanding of why he used the word wherefore and why he made specific statements that he made in, in chapter 12, it's important that we get an understanding. As the Bible reminds us, in all our getting, get an understanding. And so some, some initial thoughts that we see in this chapter, that Paul is talking to the Christians in Philippi and how they have been given this joy that they have this joy of Jesus Christ and that also they have been like-minded and in one accord. In other words, they're doing some good things. They receive the joy that comes from Jesus Christ and they've been walking in like-mindedness and in one accord. And then in verse 5 through 8, he encourages them to let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And so often we easily say, have the mind of Christ. But what is Paul really saying here? Let this mind, what is this mind? Because Jesus had the mindset. And so Paul is saying, let this mindset be in you, the mindset of humbleness and obedience. That Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation. In other words, he humbled himself and he became, or he was obedient, even unto death, the scripture says, the death of the cross. And so we see this mindset that Jesus came. He came with a humble mind. He came with an obedient mind to be obedient to the Father. He humbled himself and was obedient even unto death. And then we see verse 9 of chapter 2 in Philippians. Then Paul throws in this portion. He uses a word, wherefore. And if we're not careful in certain translations, we'll see therefore. And we ask that question, what's it therefore? But wherefore means and gives us a little bit different connotation. And I want to just talk about that a little bit, but wait for it. Put a pin in that wherefore. The logical connection of the statement is to connect it with what already has been said because Jesus Christ humbled himself because he was obedient. The verse in verse 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So if we're not looking really closely, we'll connect because he was a humbled. Because he was obedient, God exalted him. And that would be a true statement, but that's not the whole of the story. That's not all of it. See, God, that word wherefore truly means for what reason that God highly exalt him and God gave him a name above every name. Because the word wherefore gives us an understanding of it being a rhetorical question. Anybody, everybody know what a rhetorical question is? 
that it is axing you in order to create a dramatic effect, to get you to think about it a little bit. Not so much for you to give an answer, but for you to think about what's it there for? What's the reason? Wherefore, for what reason would God highly exalt him? And then it also gives you a, a thought of an empirical question. Anybody know what an empirical question is? It's a question that gives the answer by observation. That we don't come right out and say it, we observe and then we're able to see the answer to that question. And so for what reason would God also highly exalt him? And give him a name which above every name. Because the reality of it is that God understands that we can get caught up in names. We can get caught up in authorities. We can get caught up in things of this world. And we can make those things, if we're not careful, be the authority in our lives. And so God put this in place. He says his name will be above every name. His authority will be above every authority. So that as we are seeking and searching and we're wondering what's going to be the right, what's going to be the, the ultimate, what's going to be the thing that's going to hold me, is it going to be my statue in this life, is it going to be my finances in this life, is it going to be my health in this life, is that, gonna get, is that the authority that I'm going to hold on to and it's going to make me safe, it's going to give me salvation, it's going to secure me. And he says, there's a name above all of that. There's one that has ultimate authority. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And it's for this reason, Philippians 2, 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth. See, we're not going to bow to the things in this earth and the things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God, the Father. And so when we're trying to figure it out, when we're going through it, we don't know which way is up. We can look to the one who is high and above it all. Whatever it may be, whatever your circumstance is, whatever your challenge may be, he is high and lifted up. Whatever that power may be that's holding, that's placed chains upon us, the chains are broken by the authority of Jesus Christ because he is high. And lift it up. He is above all. And so the Bible reminds us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Not on the things of this world and the cares of it. That at his name every knee should bow. See, maybe you, just like you heard Elder Gary say, had a moment. Of when you was trying to figure it out, you was working it out and trying to see where your hope and your strength and where your salvation was coming from. And you tried and you dabbled in a couple of different things, but none of it satisfied you. Maybe you tried alcohol and you tried booze and whiskey and all, and it didn't satisfy you. Maybe you tried sex and, and, and men and women and it didn't satisfy you. It didn't give you that wholeness. Maybe you tried other cares of this world, nothing made you whole. But then you heard about this Savior. 
And this man named Jesus Christ that came upon this earth so that men wouldn't be lost and women wouldn't be lost in their trespasses and sins, but that we would be saved. And so verse 10 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And so for this reason, God lifted him up, exalted him, gave him a name above every name so that we would have assurance in him that he is truly the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. His name is stronger than and more powerful than any other. So let me make it clear about what we're seeing here in verse 12. See, what we also understand is that Paul is not giving the church of Philippi a strong rebuke. See, these folks here at Philippi are not like those Galatians. He's not having to rebuke them for all the things that they're doing wrong. They're actually doing many things right. They're having like-mindedness. They're walking in one accord. And in verse 12, he says, you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He's saying that you've been, that they have been the model for what it means to follow and obey Christ. So there, this Particular passage here is more an exhortation than it is, uh, and an encouragement than it is a rebuke. He's not rebuking them at all. He's exhorting them. He's encouraging them to look deeply into this question and meditate on it. For what reason? And so this is the central idea of the sermon today. For what reason should you saints of God, that's being obedient, that's being like-minded, that's trusting God. For what reason should you work out your own salvation? Hearing all this about the humbleness and obedience of Christ, that God exalted his name above every name, and the importance of others bowing their knee to his authority which is above every authority, and confessing with their mouth, their tongue, Jesus as Lord. For what reason would I and would you, Paul would say, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Firstly, I just want to clear up something so that we understand because we're hearing the word work quite a bit today. It's important that I clear up and, and I dispel this myth that you work for your salvation. That is not true as we see in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we don't work, saints, for 
our salvation. So that's not what Paul's talking about here when he's saying work out your own salvation. But there are some significant points that are so important that we grab from Paul's reasoning here. For what reason would Paul still say, work it out, work it out? I'd like to share three key points with you today of why Paul would say, work it out. And answer that question, for what reason should we work it out? The first point that I'd like to share with you that Paul has given us an understanding of and allowing us to have a glimpse of is to work out your work of salvation. Let me explain that. Let me say that again and explain it. Work out your work of salvation. See, it goes to understanding of work out your control of salvation. See, saints of God, we don't control it. But we've been so conditioned in this world that when we come to Christ and we know that we don't work for our salvation and we receive Christ as the free gift, but because we've been trained and we've been operating a certain way for such a long time, it's hard for us to take our hands off of it. It's hard for us to get the idea in our heart of hearts that it's free, that it's been given to us. And so it's so important that we work out the work of salvation, that we understand as Philippians 2, 13 says this, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, we still, even though we may not say the words in the back of our mind, we still think we have control of it. That we are the ones that make it happen on the inside and the outside. And it's so important for us to understand that it's him that does the work in us and through us. So work out the fact that God is in control, not you. That's what we need to do. We got to work out that. We have to wrestle with that. Remember, Jacob wrestled with God. He came out limp a little bit, but we need to work out who's in control, who's doing the work. Understand that it's not us. See, we like being in control. See, even the work of sanctification in the believer, we understand that we have to allow God to clean us up, to sanctify us to renew our mind, to have us think differently than the way we used to think. See, there's a change, there's a transformation going on the inside. That old man has died, but that that flesh still wants to do its own thing. See, it is that he changes us. We don't change him. It's so important that we understand that because a lot of times we're not careful in that working out. We try to negotiate with God. God said, I am who I am. I'm not changing. You need to get with the program. (laughs) I'm in control, not you. I even remember sometimes, like I, when, we say, when we're doing our prayers, we try to command God. Command God in the name you need to do this. Like, wait a minute. It's so important that 
we surrender it all to him. Let him be the one that does the work. Ephesians 2.10 says this. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. See, God wants to bring out those good works, but we are his workmanship. Which God prepared. See, he was prepping it beforehand that we should walk in them. See, if we're not careful, we go, well, Lord, I know how to do it. God, I got this great plan. We're going to do it this way, this way. He said, do you know I prepared this before you was even? He's prepared it beforehand. He wants us to receive it, grow in it, and walk in it. See, he works in us. He works on our want to, our desire. See, our, his desires become our desires if we let it. And he and enables the outside to do what God's called us to do. Because it's God doing the work. See, think about it this way. Through this process of allowing God to do the work, we become one with God. See, he is the, pot, he is the potter. We are the clay. As he shapes and molds us, we feel his his loving hands, his touch upon us. We feel his presence. We know that he's God. Because it, just like Gary said earlier, if it wasn't God, for God, where would we be? You can't argue with that transformed life. We look at it and we're able to see that God is doing a work in and through us. See, it's the work of his love because he loves us so much. He presses into us and his love comes out of us and it shows up in everything that we do and how we conduct ourselves in this world because it's his work in and through us. John 13, 35 says this, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You can't have love without God first loving on us. And so as he loves on us, he pours in us, he does the work on us, we're able to have love for others. And then others can see that we're disciples of Jesus Christ. So the first point, work out your work of salvation. It's not your work, it's his work. The next point is work out your joy of salvation. See, we've been given a precious gift that is ab above any other gift. And so it's so important, saints, that we work out our joy of salvation. Just like when you first came to the Lord. You remember how they thought you was crazy? You were so excited. That burden came off. That was joy, unspeakable joy. See, it's so important that we work out our feelings, our viewpoints, our thoughts. That it is not our will, but it's his will. And so often when trials come, when tribulations happen, 
We can be like, well, wait a minute, Lord, I, I don't know if I signed up for that. And before you know it, Philippians 2.14, we can do the counter of that. See, it says, do all things without murmuring and disputing. See, we got to work out that complaining and that arguing. Because we can complain and argue with God and to where it seems like we don't, we, we forget the gift that we've been given. How precious salvation is. And if we're not careful, we can sound like those Israelites. It was better when I was in slavery. It was better when I, at least with the Egyptians, I got a little bit to eat. Have you ever seen God's children begging for bread? He feeds the fowl of the air. He will feed you and I. See, our emotions can go up and down in and of ourselves. But if we allow God to be the Lord of our emotions, the joy of the Lord is our strength. He'll see us through every situation. We won't murmur and complain and grumble because here's what I learned. Sometimes we'll say, well, it's just not fair. It's just not fair how they treat us. How we can see it on the media and we can see how they, they talk all bad about Christians and, and, and they have all these things to say. And in my workplace, it's not fair how they treat me and all these things. You know what? It may not be fair, but we have better than fair. We have favor. God's unmerited favor. And he sees us through it all. Because if we're not careful, we're focusing on the fairness and we forget about the favor. You know that God's going to make it all right? He's going to bring everything into order? And so he tells us and reminds us, don't get focused on those things that, that are temporary. Because these light afflictions are not worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that will be revealed in us. And so, Paul is giving us the understanding to work out your joy of salvation. Don't forget what God has done. That, he, that you have joy, unspeakable joy. And it does not change with the situation. God is still the same. Now, let me share this, this uh, scripture in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 8, verse 10, that reminds us of the joy of the Lord. Then he said unto them, go your way. These Israelites that were being persecuted, that was being coming, they were coming against them when they were endeavoring to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He said, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
and things God is telling us, don't be sorry or sorrowful about the things that's going on. Go the way you're supposed to go. Do what you're supposed to do. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then the third point. Work out your adoption in salvation. Work out your adoption in salvation. See, some of us still struggle with the fact that we are God's child. We think just because we're in this flesh and it's corruptible and it's got issues with it, that how could we be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a dearly beloved child of God, so Paul has given us the indication of work out who you are and whose you are. Don't act like who you are not. You don't belong to this world. You're, not, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. You are a child of God. You are a joint heir with Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. But we are child, children of the living God. Here's what Philippians 2.15 says. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So you don't belong to this world anymore. So leave it and the functions of it alone. Be who you're called and God has fashioned and adopted you to be. You are adopted in the beloved. You are a child of God. You are a royal priesthood. And so we can hold our head up not high, I mean not pridefully, but in humble obedience. To the one who is our father. And so Paul has given us the indication of what to work out. Work out who's doing the work. Work out the joy that we are to have in our salvation. And work out our adoption that we are children of God. For a how-to, for what reason? See, so he's saying work out your salvation with fear and trembling with reverence to God in awe and wonder of him with a fearful expectation that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And he so desires that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So for what reason would that be for the saints? For what reason will we work out these things that we're talking about, our salvation? See, God is calling us to honor him with this work of salvation, this work of sacrifice in us. See, Galatians 2.20 says this, I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who cared for me and gave himself for me. And so we work it out, we sacrifice, we give to get these understandings, to get to this point of who's in control, to allow our joy to come out for the very reason, for the call, so that the word of life would be held up in and through us. Verse 16, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. We work out who's in control, who's the one doing the work, so that we're not working on our labor, that we get weary in our strength of holding up the word of life, that it's in him we move and breathe and have our being. And in Christ we are strengthened to hold up the word of life, for someone to see and hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not our work, but his work. Because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so we work out the joy because the reality of it is, is if we don't have joy, saints, folks going to look at that and they're going to be like, that's what you want me to get? It don't seem like it's working too well for you. Where's your joy? You say he's the savior of the world. That he redeemed you. That he brought you from death unto life. That he broke the chains. And so we work it out. And we're able to say this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. And the world can't take it away. And before you know it, we're dancing and we're shouting and people seeing a smile and we got all this stuff going on and things are happening in your life and, and it's falling down around. Death and destruction is all around you. It falls at your left, it falls at your right, but it shall not come nigh your dwelling place. And people go, huh. Either she crazy or she got hold of something that's true. The joy of salvation. And then when we work out this adoption, we work out who we are. See, it's like the boldness of David. We walk into situations knowing that we're not defeated, knowing that we're not torn down, knowing that we're not of this world. There's some boldness. There's some strength. And greater works, Jesus said, greater works you shall do. Because we know who we are. We know whose we are. We're able to hold up the word of life because that life is on the inside of us. saints, if you don't work it out, we will miss those wonderful moments to hold up 
the word of life. If you don't work it out, the joy that we have that the world didn't give and the world can't take it away may not be evident to the world around us. And if we don't work it out, the should bow and the should confess may not happen for someone because they weren't able to see that he's above every name, that he's above every authority, that he's greater than anything in this world could hold because they saw it worked out in us. That we didn't just say it, we believed it. And we let it be worked out in us. The saints of God, when we do this, there is nothing in this world that can hold somebody that's seeking, that's searching for the one. See, we've all, just like everybody else in the world, they're searching for a way. They're looking for a truth. And they're looking for some sort of life. But as we work it out in us to where he fully is seen in and through us, they see the way. They see the truth. And they see the life. And for that reason, knees are bowing and tongues are confessing that Jesus is Lord. So saints of God, I encourage you, wherever you may be, work it out. Let him work in you. Let his joy overtake you. And know that you know that you know that you are son and daughter of the Most High King.